Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast, the way of embodied spirituality. I'm your host, Sarah Weiss. My friends, we have a a wonderful interview in store for you today. We have Patricia Young, who is a coach and a therapist for highly sensitive people. And she hosts a podcast called Unapologetically Sensitive, which should tell you a lot about her and where she is in her life. And so welcome to the podcast, Patricia. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So listen, let's start out with kind of the basic definition of a highly sensitive person, and we'll wind around to the place where you stopped apologizing (laughs) (laughs) for for being highly sensitive. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. Um, So the The informal definition that I love is if you've been told that you're too, too sensitive, too picky, too dramatic, you think too much, you worry too much, you can't take a joke, you need thicker skin, you might be a highly sensitive person. That's a very informal definition. Dr. Elaine Aaron did some research back in the 90s and coined the trait highly sensitive person. It's also called sensory processing sensitivity. And what Dr. Aaron did was she divided it into four core characteristics that I can go over. And there's also some statistics around how many people in the population are highly sensitive. So which way do you want me to go? Once I start, I get really passionate. So I'm I'm trying to hold the reins back a little bit. Oh, I don't want you to hold it back at all. Um, Let's start out with the DOES, okay? Okay. So the four core characteristics spell the acronym does or does. The D is depth of processing. And Dr. Aaron really feels that depth of processing is the key component for HSPs. It happens in the prefrontal cortex, in the prefrontal cortex. So we see the breadth and depth of things around us. We reflect on things more than others about how the world is going. We think about the meaning of life. We wonder about the quality of relationships we're in. We're aware of social justice issues. So so this time right now in the world is weighing heavy on, on many of us because of all of the social justice issues that are coming up. We have a more active insula. We have increased self-awareness. We take in more information. We tend to pause and reflect. We need more time for transitions, slower for decision-making. And this is kind of the part where if, if you have an interaction with someone and you leave and you think about you know either that that was really satisfying or did I say the right thing or... We just really process on a very, very deep level. Yeah. Do you want me to go on? Keep going. Yes. Okay. So the O is for overarousal or overstimulation, and it's that feeling of being stressed out or feeling burned out. This may be the most negative thing that HSPs experience since our current dominant culture is really about doing, and we are really about being and feeling into situations. And chronic overstimulation can lead to depression, anxiety. Because we notice so much, it really is, it's challenging. We're really deeply impacted by social stimulation. And my friend Ariana Smith gave this great analogy. It's like with an HSP, our bathtubs, once they fill up and we drain them, they drain very, very, very slowly. And so when we get overstimulated, it really can take time for us to kind of 
get into that place of balance. And I think this is often where we see memes around introversion. And because all, all HSPs need time for their bathtubs to drain, and what we read about introversion, we think that we're introverts. And 70% of highly sensitive people are introverts and 30% are extroverts. But you can't use traditional battery full, battery empty that you do with non-HSPs. It's kind of a whole other thing, but it's, it, I think it's relevant because the way that I learned about being an HSP was I thought I was an introvert and I thought I had social anxiety and I'm, I'm neither. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So shall I move on? Keep going. E, okay. Right? Yep. E is for emotional responsiveness and empathy. So we have more active mirror neurons. We feel the positive things more strongly. We feel the negative things more strongly than the non-HSPs. And we tend to bring more emotional intensity and empathy to most every situation. So there's a difference between emotional intensity and emotional reactivity. And I, I, I really believe there's an overlay of wounding that goes on to the trait of being an HSP. And often when people hate their sensitivity, that's more about wounding. We just feel things more deeply. We can honor our emotional intensity. This is where we express our feelings in the arts, writing, poems, people who show or speak passionately about what they feel. But, you know, we tend to go for the underdog. We, we just like our hearts hurt. Like this is a time in the world where many of us, our hearts are just really hurting. How true. Okay. Yeah. Take us yeah. into the, <laughs> into the S. <laughs> the S sensitive to subtlety. So this isn't true for every HSP. We have a finely tuned nervous system in general, and we may share some of these traits and not all of them. I mean, the things that I'm going to share, like some people can notice when the barometric pressure is dropping. Some HSPs have perfect pitch. I'm not one of them. We do tend to have more side effects to medications. We're more sensitive to caffeine, changes in temperature. We may notice the sound of a ticking clock or dripping water, changes in the environment, nonverbal cues, strong sensory input, bright lights, loud noises, strong smells, rough textures. So we just tend to notice much more, which, which is also part of what leads to that overarousal and overstimulation. So I just want to make a point here because um, I work with the uh, Enlightened Empath program and do a lot of training and coaching in that. And to all the empaths that are listening to this podcast, uh, one of the reasons I wanted Patricia to be on today is for to help you understand that this HSP um, and empath continuum it has many of the same traits and we have the same challenges and I would consider empaths to have all the same challenges that an HSP would have. And so always the big question is how do you go from feeling like a, like you're a misfit and like how in the world did you get to be on the marginalized end of society and how do you bring yourself back and start feeling good about yourself? I mean, this is what you do, Patricia. It's a process. It's an imperfect process. It's an ongoing process. So I want to be really clear about this. This is not a one and done. You know, I thought something was wrong with me. And when I saw memes and graphics about introversion, it, it felt like, oh my gosh, there's not something wrong with me that I love being at home and I like quiet things and I don't really want to go where it's noisy and chaotic. I also thought I had social anxiety. And what I think happens for many HSPs is 
we go into a social situation and it's overwhelming and I'm a highly sensitive extrovert. So I love connecting, but I like connecting with people that can also meet me at a place of depth. And if there's too much going on in a social situation, I sometimes feel awkward and uncomfortable. And I suspect that many of us have gone into social situations. It's been too much and it feels yucky and we don't want to go back. And we don't understand that we have that strong need for connection, but it just needs to be in the right venue with the right people for the right amount of time. Like I, I know what my time frame is for how long I'm good for. And if I exceed that, it will take me out for, it, it could be up to a couple of days if I stretch too far. So finding that optimal level of arousal for me, because if I don't get enough stimulation, then I, I get bored and depressed. And I thought I had depression. I thought I had anxiety. And to me, I really think that it was just not understanding the traits of being a highly sensitive person and really trying to figure out what that is, but understanding that this is how I'm wired, that there's nothing wrong with me. And really looking at the perceived deficits and turning them into superpowers. So one of my favorite stories is in my house, I have a home office and I, my husband offered to paint it for me and the room was bright yellow and we painted it, he painted it a beautiful kind of a seafoam green blue, but there were pieces of yellow that were poking out. It's a very old house and there was blue on the white windowsills and those little things really, it, it irritated me. I didn't say anything to him, but when my son went to college and I decided to move back into my old office, my husband generously offered to paint the room and like, you know what, I'm going to pay to have it professionally done. And he asked why. And I explained and he's like, well, when you're doing therapy, does it affect your therapy? No. Do your clients notice it? No. He says, you're so picky. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things. Too picky, too picky, too picky. Yeah. Right? And, right? and yes. And had I not done my work, I guarantee you for the next 10 years, he would be hearing that's because I'm so picky. I probably right. can't do that because I'm so picky. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I notice details and, and every time I'm in this room, especially during COVID and I do yoga in here and I lay on the floor and I get so much joy and I can look into every single corner of the room and there's nothing that makes me go like, that, you know, the, the needle scratching on the record. Mm -hmm. Know that, it, know it well. It brings me joy. And, mm -hmm. and that's how we become empowered to know like, yeah, call me picky, but I'm a happy girl when I'm in here. Right. Ah. Uh. I, I have the same thing going on. Um, so, so tell me a little about your journey of going from feeling wrong to feeling strong, right? Yeah. I have to say, since I started my podcast, it'll be two years in October, I feel like I've grown myself up. And oftentimes I would say and do things like the way I knew I was supposed to respond, but it didn't feel that way internally. And then after a while, I found myself responding and, and kind of expecting that old part of me that would get really upset or irritated and like, oh, I've, I've kind of matured. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not a linear process where there's no regression because my mom just got a dog and we walk the dog because my mom is older. And I'll tell you, it's stirring up a lot of stuff about not being in control and getting frustrated and so I want to be very clear that even though I love who I am and I love all parts of me, it's, it's not always, you know, it's not perfect. And like I said, it's not a one undone, mm -hmm. but really starting to embrace all the ways that I show up. What I found to be really important is to name what goes on and to reframe because I'm such a deep thinker. I need to talk about stuff after it happens. And what I think in the past people would call, you know, being gossipy or judgmental. 
I, I have judgments about things and I need to talk about what happens. And what I've learned is like, Sarah, if you and I are in a relationship and something happens and I'm uncomfortable, but I'm, I'm not really sure if this is about something you said, is this about my history? I don't really want to work it out with you yet, but I want to take that somewhere else where I can talk about it to try and figure out, is this something that I need to work on? Do I need to bring this back to the relationship? And I might be judgmental about some of the things that you said. And so in that side conversation, I'm going to, you know, I'm feeling judgmental. I think Sarah's blah, blah, blah. I've learned that that's okay. And once I sort that out, then I can figure out what do I need to do to go back into the relationship with you to figure out, you know, what is current that I need to tell you in this relationship and what's my history that I need to work out. I have a lot of attachment injuries and they come up in relationships. And so in order to really keep my relationships clean, I need to figure out, is this about the past? Is this about what's going on now? And to really be okay with that. And to know that I can honor you and the relationship and I can feel angry, hurt, pissed off. And, and both of those things can exist in the same realm. So being able to name it and be really okay with my feelings has been a huge part of it. Well, in your uh, podcast, you really lay out your personal life and how, <laughs> how, you, how you proceed. And it's, it's fascinating and it's revealing and it's supportive all in, in the whole package of it because you lay out your process um, very bare bones. I mean, you don't hold back and you demonstrate how you go from being upset or hurt um, and trying to figure it all out until you come to a resolution. And I find in my life too, that I'll just spend a whole lot of time trying to get some clarity so that if I do need to make a move or speak to someone I always want to do it from a place of clarity. And you really take us through that on, on your podcast. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, my mission statement is I want people to know that they're not alone, that we all have this sense of connection. It's how we're wired. It comes with some challenges being highly sensitive. That, you know, I'm not going to pretend like it's a perfect thing. Being alive and being a human is messy. Whether you're a highly sensitive person or not, being human is messy. And so you can be messy as a non-HSP, you can be messy as an HSP, but to know that we've got strengths and I really want to model the things that I struggle with and how I process through them. And I can't tell you how many people have said like, you're in my head. How do you know that that's what goes on? I really think that feeling like we're being seen and heard because many of us grew up with caregivers, parents that were not wired like us or they didn't understand it or if they were sensitive, they had to shut it down and they shut it down in us. Research shows we have higher rates of anxiety and depression if our parents weren't attuned to us. And so I really just want to normalize it. And it's so relieving to go to, to know somebody else struggles with those same things that we move from thinking that there's something wrong with us to like, oh, this is just how I'm wired. So when it comes up and I kind of have that record screech again, like, oh, it's that thing again. Okay, pause. What do I need to do? It's an imperfect process, but life is messy. So let's, let's kind of delve into the relationships because that's where we are right now and the challenges of finding and cultivating healthy relationships. How do we speak to our sensitivities? Um, how do we not uh, compromise or kind of self-suppress and 
really, really try to find those rare relationships where someone can stop their racing mind long enough to actually listen <laughs> to our depth. Um, yeah. Are you talking, there are kind of two ways that I'm thinking. One can be what comes up interpersonally with how we process, and one can be mm -hmm. just about what we need in relationships if something's too noisy or, so which, which Let, path are you talking about? Well, you know, I want all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So um, why don't we, why don't we go with the inner peace first and then how to navigate the external relationship second? How does that sound? Uh, yeah, that sounds great. I think that because we tend to want many of us, I'm, I'm one, I crave connection and I've always needed more connection than most other people do. And so everything is always relative. So if somebody tells you that you're too, you're too sensitive, you're too needy, it's always in relationship to somebody else. So we really need to know that, you know, what does that mean to you? And it's really a reflection of the other person. I'm perfect the way I am. And what I often say to my clients is like, you're a juicy orange and you're with a bunch of crunchy apples and they're wanting you to stop juicing all over the place and be crunchier. And it's like, you can't, you're a juicy orange. So really knowing our traits and understanding them, we don't have to lead with, I'm a highly sensitive person, therefore. But what I often bring to my relationships and when they're new and I'm testing them out is, I, I can't remember if it was Glennon Doyle or Brene Brown, but they talk about when you first get into a relationship, the person is meeting your representative. It's not who you are. And we really need to, to put our representatives aside and take those risks early on. So an example is I wanted to collaborate on this HSP online course that I do, and I, I knew I needed to work with someone. So I found a therapist that I had seen online, and we had an online meeting, and she showed up late. And at the time, this really activated something for me when people show up late, and I thought, if we're going to be collaborating, and she's going to be late all the time, this, this, it, it, activated, it activated me. I don't say triggered, I say activated. And so I told her, and I'm, I'm thinking, if we're going to work together, I need to get this out out on the table. And she really heard me beautifully and talked about her problem with being late and that it really had nothing to do with me and we would work through it. I felt so seen and heard. And my thought was, we need to find this out now, not when we're three months into the project and we can't back out and I can't work with someone who's not on time. Now, as it turns out, as we work together, she was able to reflect that that was about me not feeling important that I wasn't important. And what she was able to do is I see you, you are important. You mean a lot to me. And I don't always do a great job showing up that eliminated my need to control the thing about time. Cause it wasn't about time. It was about, do I matter? And am I important? Ah, uh, basic need. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a little more detail about this. Sure. So when you said to her about your need to have people be on time, Mm -hmm. how, how composed were you? <laughs> Very. In my family of origin, we didn't do feelings. They weren't allowed. And so I um, overly controlled in my emotions, which in some ways works and in some ways doesn't. Like I had a fight with my husband yesterday and I, I got angry. Like for me, I got angry and raised my voice. I don't say inappropriate things, but I felt bad afterwards because like, like it's a very normal, healthy thing to do, but because I tend to be so over-controlled, it was probably a good thing to let off some steam. And we processed and did work and he was fine with it, but I, I tend to be over-controlled. So you're not the kind of person that like blurts out or just kind of... 
reacts no, big in a no. big way. And either people tend to be over-controlled like I am and they need to learn to identify their emotions, which when I was 30, I lived in a recovery home for my eating disorder and we had to do a feelings check-in. I couldn't tell you what a feeling was. I, you know, they weren't allowed. And so I learned to totally be intellectual and analytical. Other people tend to be very emotionally dysregulated and they're kind of, I feel like my language is um, not very respecting and that's not my intention, but I don't want to think about the perfect words, you know, tend to be all over the place emotionally and they need to learn how to go a little bit more into their thinking brain to create more balance. So depending on which side we're on, we want to practice moving more towards having balance. And I agree with that. Uh, the, the brain can help shape the emotions and the emotions can help shape the thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that seems to be a big process, actually. Um, yeah. A big growth curve for people who have been dismissed or made to feel wrong for a good part of their life. Yeah. My experience is that many of the people that come to me tend to want to look to the outside to what the rule is. How am I supposed to behave? Where's the rule? Mm. And so much of the work that we do is about going back internally. How did you feel? What are you thinking? What are you needing? That that's how we know that we can take, take up space. And I often use the analogy of it's like that sense of oppression to fit into the box that, you know, good girls are quiet and they're kind and they're compliant and they're not disagreeable. And as we start to feel into who we are and to know that that makes me angry, that makes me sad, I felt disappointed. And to let go of that, I shouldn't be feeling that way. I should be grateful. Well, we can have both. I can feel grateful and I can feel really angry and let down. As we, my experience is as we come into ourselves, you know, we start to come out of that box and our gremlins want to put us back in the box. But as we learn to identify what we're thinking and feeling, that's kind of how we come into ourselves. So when you work with people, is there a difference between when Patricia works as a therapist versus Patricia as a coach? Uh, um, I started to laugh. I thought as the person I was going to say, sadly, my children will tell you, no, there's no difference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the distinction for me that I personally make between coaching and therapy, and it's, it's an ongoing process, is in coaching, people are functioning relatively well. I'm, I'm a wounded healer, and I get activated, and I have challenges. So I'm kind of my ideal client. So somebody who's managing well enough and has enough insight that they struggle with some stuff and we need to look at it, that definition of coaching being about the past, I mean, therapy being about the past and coaching being about the present doesn't work for HSPs because we have to look at what messages did you get and get and what brought you here. So to me, coaching is really about somebody functioning well enough that we can do movement. And I, I feel much more freedom in coaching as opposed to the constraints of therapy, which were ingrained that I'm a blank slate and I can't share my own personal experience. And I find for HSPs that we need it, it just the validation and the sharing of personal struggles. I, I had a client yesterday who got in a fight with her husband and I had gotten in this fight with my husband. I, I don't know if I said I did it this morning. It was the day that I talked to the client and I shared that with her. It was normalizing. Like we're going to lose our stuff every once in a while. It's not a bad thing. Well, when we're always kind of in a, it, I don't even like to use the word too much um, experience of life when we're when we're living this um, highly responsive s- space in life. 
there's a tendency to want to just push it all down uh, rather than go through the work of trying to figure out how to manage it. It's, it can be um, daunting. It, you can even be so overwhelmed in your mind that you can't even break through to manage or shape um, how you want to be with all this experience that you have. Mm-hmm. Which is why I love, you know, what I'll tell clients is bring something that happened that didn't feel good and let's look at it and see what was a story that went on in your head. Is this about you? Is this about the other person that we take actual situations that are going on and kind of deconstruct them to figure out what was it that was going on? I, I, I guess I've just found that to be one of the more helpful ways to work with people I mean, we're going to, like, I just keep going back to this. We're going to do it imperfectly. We're going to be messy. But because that tendency to want to think our way through things and to get it perfect and get it right can really immobilize us. And then we don't do anything. And it's just, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to screw up. Like that repair work can be even more powerful than getting things right the first time. And how do you lead someone into finding their self-love and feeling okay? You know, that's a, that's a real art. It, it is, and it's an ongoing process. I, I love the concept of just observation. Can you just notice what's going on? And like, you're a scientist, just take notes. And often what happens is, I was, I was just talking to a client about this, like there's a meme about therapy and it shows a bird that's, you know, very calm. And then therapy, when you're done with your therapy session, you know, the, the bird's all ruffled up. Sometimes that's what happens with therapy or coaching. It stirs up stuff. And sometimes you come in ruffled and your session, you end up coming out calm. It's about learning to observe what goes on. And often in the beginning stages, we watch ourselves do behaviors that don't work. Like we've been doing this stuff all along and now we realize why we're doing it. And then we just watch ourselves continue to do that same thing over and over again until we have enough skills and we do it differently and really learning how to be okay with that and have compassion, which again is why I love to share stories because I struggle with stuff. And if I can't laugh at some of the things that I struggle with and share about them, it, that's going to keep me in shame. And if we're in shame, we, we can't grow. We, you know, shame wants secrecy and to be hidden. And the way that we break shame is to talk about it, which is why I do what I do. I'm just uh, imagining a whole society of HSPs <laughs> <laughs> where it's, it's normalized. Yeah. Where, where you don't have to go into therapy because you're an HSP, right? Yes. And I have to say, I have a core group of friends that are mostly therapists that are also highly sensitive. And we have very different ways of showing up in the world. And there are still areas where our wounding shows up, where, you know, you'd think it would, it would make the ideal perfect relationship. And again, I just go back to relationships are complicated being a human being is messy, that there is no perfect way of being. It's about learning how to navigate through the bumps, the mistakes, the repair work. That's really what it's about. So it's really about going beyond any kind of label and being present and responsive and self-learning self about you, who you are. Yes. And I will say that I, I get tremendous satisfaction out of my friends that are HSPs. That those are the people that I go to because we have that depth. 
And it's not all depth. A lot of the time, it's just talking about the little ins and outs of our days, and there's tremendous intimacy in there. So it is nice having those HS connections, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be a perfect fit, and we don't have conflict, and there's not history, and there's not wounding. Yeah, and one of your more recent podcasts, you were discussing uh, a relationship with someone that you were had developed recently and uh, during the COVID times now, and how I, I was impressed with how much you valued yourself in this relationship. There was a sense of, you know, this is just who I am and let's see if this relationship can really work for me. And there was no apology in it. You really, really had no apology in it. I think this is the one where I was upset about something and I said to her, like, if you want to get upset on my behalf, I'd be okay. And she didn't. Is that the one you're thinking of? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something I'd been talking to her about it. So when I, I use an app called Marco, which any money for, but you leave it. And so she's in another country and she responds on her own time. She leaves you back. And so this yucky thing happened. And I'm, I told her about, it. I'm like, I'm going to get really angry and upset. You have to feel free to. And in her response, she said, you know, like, Oh, da, 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 da. And she moved on the next thing. And I, I was kind of like, Whoa, that, that was not enough airtime for me. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I don't feel like I was really seen and heard enough in that. And I kind of want a little bit more of response from you. And it felt really scary. So I, I did the brave thing, but it still felt scary. And I usually don't hear from her until about bedtime the next day. And this, this activated some of my attachment injuries. Oh my gosh, what if she gets mad? What if she tells me I'm being picky? What if she tells me I'm asking for too much? Which are all unhealthy things from my past. And if she did come back and say any of those things, I would really have to look at the relationship because that was an average need that I was having. So I, the day was uncomfortable when I thought about it. And then when she came back that night and said, gosh, I'm so sorry. Thank you for saying something to me. And then she responded, I cried. Uh-huh. Because I, I think many of us have those messages of that how we show up in the world is not okay. And then I'm 57 years old. What, what is she going to do that's going to hurt me? But because I've had relationship, I I think many of us have had friendship wounds and I often will default to that, you know, what happens if the relationship ends? It's it's self-protective. It's just where I go. And so I kind of armor up expecting for the worst, forgetting that I'm 57 years old and I get to choose my relationships. And then when somebody comes back and they really see and hear me, it, it melts that old wounding, hurt, defensive armor. And the only way to heal is to really do this practice of being vulnerable and risking. And every time it happens, it feels scary. I mean, we were just talking, she's going to be gone for two weeks. And I didn't realize it was two weeks. And I'm like, wow, I, that's kind of a long time. And then I said, how, how do you hear that? Because in the past, people would go like, you're being so needy. Mm-hmm. No, I just, I appreciate you and the connection and I'll be fine without you. But gosh, I love talking to you every day and I'm going to miss that. And that's easy to have misinterpreted by someone else. Yeah. And so I asked her, how do you hear that? And so today she responded that, you know, she totally hears where I'm coming from. So this is where it's so important for us to do our work. My fears still come up. I still have that. Am I being too much? We talk about it. I don't know if I'll ever get to a place where that goes away. I don't know if there's more work that I should be doing. 
I'm really good at being able to come in and offer myself those reassurances, but it creates such intimacy and vulnerability and closeness that for me is incredibly satisfying. And it's scary. Every time I do it, it feels scary. But it isn't about waiting until we're ready and we have the courage. Courage is about feeling the fear and doing the thing anyways. I love that. Love that. Um, Can we kind of take a little bit of a, a turn here? And I'd like to hear some of your wisdom about how HSPs when they're in their workplace, in their profession, in the office, and also concomitant with that, I see um, environments, you know, like children in, in schools, um, people in offices, and how HSPs can manage in difficult environments. Sure. I don't, I don't think that it's necessary to lead with, I'm an HSP, therefore. Mm-hmm. What I find really helpful is to know what works for me. And so it's like, you, you know, the lights are really bright. Is there a possibility that we could get some incandescent lighting in here? I notice it's really loud. Is it possible to turn that sound down? So when we know what we need for an optimal environment, I, when I used to work, I'd come in the door with an armful of stuff and the receptionist, I'd walk in the door and she'd hit me with stuff. And it was a joke. I'd say, SB, I need to land first. And so I'd walk in the door and she'd go, Patricia. She's like, oh, you need to land first, which means I want to put my stuff in the fridge. I want to get my computer booted up. I need a minute to arrive before I'm ready to transition into the day. So I didn't have to go, SB, I'm a highly sensitive person. Therefore, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens if you can't negotiate the environment um, that, that you have heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, think I, of kids in schools are, yeah. I can remember my own childhood and how difficult some of those environments were in the schools. Yeah. I, you know, we do the best that we can, and then we have to make decisions of, are there accommodations that we can make? I, I used to carry earplugs on me all the time. My kids, I made sure that they always had fidget toys with them. You know, so there are things that we can do to create soothing for ourselves if we're feeling keyed up in an environment that's too stimulating. You know, even now with online work, I notice that I have a pen that I fidget with. I've found something that's quiet that I can fidget with that soothes me. So are there little hacks that we can do? Do we need to take it up to higher levels? Some workplaces are going to be responsive. Some of them aren't we're really good at coming up with solutions and problem solving. And it's really frustrating when we come up against people or systems that are not willing to budge and are very rigid. And then we have to decide, is this an environment that I can leave? Can I modify it? I don't have a perfect answer for you because this is something that we all face, but there are little hacks that we can, you know, do to create comfort around us. And, and for kids, it's really hard. And please don't ever call your kid shy ever. If you say that, don't just stop because kids need time to warm up. They're slow to warm up and to label a kid as shy is so damaging. Are guidance counselors in schools um, and school psychologists much more aware of HSPs and their needs now? I don't think that they are. I think in some areas, there's some awareness. I've really been trying to work as much with therapists. 50% of clients in therapy are HSPs. We're the ones that want to learn about ourselves. We show oh. up on time. We pay on time. We can read a self-help book and get way more out of it than a non-HSP. 
but yeah, I, I think we need to do educating in the schools all over the place. And there's a very high rate of misdiagnosis of anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, OCD, I think I said ADHD, in adults mm-hmm. and kids, because people just don't understand them with that high emotional responsiveness and the high levels of empathy, we can be misunderstood and mislabeled. That's huge. Yeah. That's gigantic, actually. And how does a therapist tease that out? I think you look at history, you look at what was childhood like, where did things happen, if there's been a history of hospitalizations. I mean, you just kind of have to try and figure out where the wounding is. I mean, I I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression and ADHD and was on medication for all of them. Not on any medication now. I, I, I do, especially during COVID, it's, you know, I've had more anxiety, I've had more depression. I try not to label it. I just try and figure out what it is that I need. I do take supplements. You know, I, I, it's kind of a complicated process. And I'm, I'm not advocating that people should or shouldn't be on medication and you can be an HSP and have depression and be an HSP or have anxiety. So I'm, I'm not debunking or saying that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But having a clinician that really understands and can help you figure out based on what, what the client wants. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really important. Like, is HSP uh, taught in therapy programs now and in, in colleges? So taught about it may in, it may in some. I mean, if you're wanting an HS knowledgeable therapist, Dr. Elaine Aaron's website is hsperson.com, mm. and to be listed as an HS knowledgeable therapist, you have to either read her book or watch a video and answer questions to be listed. She's got coaches listed there. Therapy Den now has a selection where you can, I, I talked to Jeff about it and said, can you put highly sensitive person there? I don't know how much work people have done. I, I think it's really important to know how to interview a therapist or a coach if you want to work with somebody and it's got to be a good fit. I, I was in therapy for years with lots of therapists and I figured that they were going to be like my mom who was kind of withdrawn and silent and judging me. And so I didn't know that I was supposed to have a really great connection with my therapist and feel like they got me. And I always tell clients, like, I'm going to do something that's going to screw it up because I'm human. So when that happens, will you feel comfortable telling me in the moment? Can you shoot me an email? I really want to create safety because if we can't talk about that stuff in the relationship, then it, it doesn't matter what I do. We're, we're not learning how to grow and change and risk. It's about that relationship. Mm, you're so grounded. <laughs> It's very nice to hear. <laughs> it's it's so funny, Sarah. I have to tell you, I pause and I'm like, man, I'm talking a lot. So like, that's the stuff that goes on in my head. And so to hear your reflection, I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? Well, the reason you're talking a lot is because I want you to. <laughs> I'm creating the vacuum out of a desire for knowledge and you're, you're filling it. So it's a perfect uh, match. <laughs> Yeah. But but that's a perfect example of how that stuff comes up. And it's not like I went into this like, oh my God, I just suck at this and what am I doing? But like that thought was there and I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? So yeah. Okay. So as we come to the close here, um, is there anything that you feel like we haven't discussed that would be relevant to the flow of our conversation here? And also tell people the resources that you have available uh, that they can access. Sure. I, I just, you know, if you, if you hate your sensitivity, there's probably wounding there and really working on those attachment injuries and that wounding to have 
a coach or a therapist that's really HS knowledgeable and also is knowledgeable about helping you tease that stuff out and do the healing work is so important and it it's so rewarding. We do better. If you have a good fit with, with a clinician, you're going to progress much more than somebody who's not an HSP. The best place to find me is unapologeticallysensitive.com. I teach online courses for HSPs. They're 10-week courses. And what it seems like the benefit is for people to be with six or eight other HSPs in a really supportive environment. And it almost recreates what we should have gotten in our family. And I can't tell you how many times someone will share and go like, I feel like I talk too much. And I'll say, do you want to get a reality check from everybody else? And they do. And other people inevitably will say, you know, no, I get so much when you share. You know, we're so used to doing so much monitoring and trying to figure out how we're supposed to be with the other 80%. And this is really a place to really learn about yourself and to be with other people that are wired like you. So I have those. I've got my podcast. I've got a YouTube channel. Everything that you want to find is on my website. Great. And I have another another question that I just remembered. So with all the sensitivity that we have, all the perceptual and and sensational sensitivity, to Mm -hmm. me, some of this falls into more of the intuitive, psychic, sixth sense realm. Mm -hmm. Um, How how do you look at that? How do you put that in the, the picture of the whole here? You know, it's interesting that for, for for all the overthinking that I do about things, this isn't a place where I worry about it too much. I'd say my primary focus is relationships and connection. And I often get intuitive hits about things, or I get a picture about, you know, I just had a client today that was telling me something and I kind of got this picture and I said, you know, I'm getting this picture and this is what's coming up for me. I think I've just integrated it and I trust it and I use it. And if the client goes like, nope, doesn't fit. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, the, the extra part of that would be do HSPs, um, can they be more leaning towards being more intuitive or spiritual or kind of expanding into broader spectrums of consciousness? I think that we're so in tune and we pick up on verbal cues and subtleties that other people don't. And so I think that we're very dialed in and whether that's intuition or it's where we notice or what our brain does, like I can't intelligently speak to that. I I had a brain researcher on who said something that kind of made me question intuition. And because I try and stick with the science, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skirting your question in a way that I can answer it without being direct because Anyways, Mm -hmm. I think we're very connected to nature. We're connected to animals. I think that we know things. I think that we perceive things. I think we're very spiritual. It may look very different. I think it's part of how we're wired. And when we tune into that, it can be incredibly powerful. I'll take that. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your wisdom with us, your, your laughter, your sense of humor, and, and the grace of your being. I really appreciate it, Patricia. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me here today. It was a joy. Blessings to everyone. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.